In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel comes from chapter 14 of Saint Luke. It was a Sabbath and Jesus came to dine in a home where he had been invited. You can picture the scene now. He goes into a relatively dark place. Maybe there were some candles lit. And one of the leading Pharisees and the people, knowing some of the things he'd done before, knowing some of the miracles he'd performed, they were watching him intently, very carefully. They were trying to observe to see if they had anything they could accuse him with. So they're they're watching, and uh, St. Luke says, in front of him there was a man suffering from dropsy. What is what is dropsy? What on earth is that? I mean, well, dropsy today we would call that edema. It is a very very painful condition which brings about swelling in the legs and the ankles and the feet and the hands and the I think in the arms because of this fluid that, that is retained and is somehow not able to be released and um, it's very very painful and it probably makes uh, you know the fellow look uh, look rather distorted and odd and no doubt with a kind of a grimace on his face of pain a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus spoke to the scholars of the law and Pharisees in reply, asking, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. So he took the man and after he had healed him, he dismissed him, let him go. Then he said to them, Who among you, if your son or ox falls into a cistern, would not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? But they were unable to answer his question. These were were experts in the law. The law of Moses, of course, had the Ten Commandments, but there were many other uh, series of of, uh, ritual laws There were liturgical laws and there were moral laws that had to be interpreted. The ritual laws were huge in number. I mean, there were a lot, like certain things made one impure, uh, touching a certain kind of animal, or if if you touched a dead animal, it was impure. If you had certain kinds of skin disease, uh, this made you impure. There were lots. And with the New Testament, of course, a lot of those ritual laws have now been superseded. Now, the moral law has not been superseded, and the liturgical laws, well, they have, uh, many of those have been now incorporated into the Catholic faith, uh, su- summarized, if you like. Uh, uh, in the past, it was with the, with the Jewish people of Israel, it was all uh, 
you know, liturgical laws that had to do with the temple and worship in the temple. Now it is the, the liturgical laws that have to do with the Holy Eucharist and worshiping the Lord at Mass. And so there's a, there are an array of liturgical laws. And of course, Jesus brought to fulfillment the law of Christ, which was the fulfillment of the, of the Old Testament. But one of the laws was to live the Sabbath. So thought, well, that's one of the moral laws as well. It's both Sabbath, both, both moral to a certain degree, but also liturgical. That you had to go to the synagogue, well, on the Sabbath, but also certain things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And the big question is, can you heal somebody on the Sabbath? This was their big dilemma. And uh, of course, when our Lord goes in there, he knows that they're thinking of this, but he sees this man with edema or with dropsy, he's in a painful situation. While they were kind of blinded by the law to the situation of this man. And uh, they only focused in on the law in a way that was not really intended. The law of the, of the Sabbath of rest was meant to give rest to people, to allow them to worship. And, uh, and so the only thing they were focused on is, is he living the Sabbath or not? They were very restrained in their interpretation of the law. And many times they tweaked the law in their favor. So he challenged them, but they kept silent. Perhaps in order to transfer this to our situation now, we can see how sometimes people ask about whether or not it's an obligation to go to Mass on Sunday during the pandemic. Now, no, on normal Sunday, it's, it's called, maybe it's not the best word, but that's what we call it, the Sunday obligation. It's like an obligation to go to Mass on Sunday. Sunday obligation. It used to be, of course, to the Sabbath, but with the early church, it was transferred on to a Sunday. And so now, people know that it might be dangerous to go and congregate with many people in Mass. And people can ask, they've asked me, do, Father, do I have to go? Do I have to go to Mass? And maybe they ask even, like, what time... Do I have to arrive at Mass? Or like at what part of the Mass am I fulfilling my obligation? Am I fulfilling my obligation if I arrive at the, at the offertory? What about if I'm halfway through the creed? What about if I arrive at the moment when it says, I believe in Jesus Christ? Or what if I don't say I believe in Jesus Christ and I come in after and I only say I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, but I don't say Jesus Christ. Is that still valid, Father? And, uh, and people can start sort of dissecting when the obligation is fulfilled. When, I mean, people literally ask that. Well, Father, we, we came late because this and this happened. And uh, did we fulfill the Sunday precept because we came at the end of the homily? Or we came at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. Did we fulfill the precept, the obligation? Even they think, do we have to go back to Mass? Or now, of course, in the pandemic, is it sufficient just to watch Mass on Zoom or wherever they, they show it online? Well, of course, in many 
regions, as is our region here in, in the Archdiocese, the, the bishop has said, okay, right now, the obligation of Sunday Mass because of the pandemic is lifted for now, for now. And it is, it is permitted simply to watch the Mass online. And, uh, but it's important that we, that, uh, that we not allow ourselves to live these obligations simply in terms of obligations, to simply fulfill obligations, as though this would satisfy our Lord sufficiently like did i fulfill it by going to the homily did i fulfill it by going to the creed did i fulfill it by going to the offertory and so forth because theoretically we could just be there and sit there completely distracted and thinking about other things and not really be there in mind and spirit in heart and out of love so it's an invitation for us that we go to Mass truly out of a desire to be with you, to grow out of love, not simply to fulfill an obligation, although we are doing that too. Because to do things simply out of obligations, it seems to be forged somehow on a sense of guilt, as though the only thing I had to do is fulfill an obligation to ensure that I pass, not really out of generous love. You know, some people ask at school, they ask the teacher, uh, teacher, is this going to be on the exam? Just so I know, I don't want to have to study stuff that's not on the exam. Right? You know, I, because, you know, I just, t just tell me. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't tell them. I don't know what's going to be on the exam. I won't tell you. Just study everything, you know, so that you can be very good in that subject matter because if I just said oh no don't worry that's not going to be on the exam then they won't study it then they won't know that thing like this this reductionism of piety just doing what is strictly speaking right within the realm of obligation it is it seems to be something forged on guilt imagine imagine if the church had said well in order to live the fourth commandment that is the commandment to love your parents you must Everybody must kiss your mother and kiss your father at least once a year. It's the kiss the father-mother obligation, the yearly obligation. And then, that, well, sorry, you have to kiss you. And then people would ask, well, is it permitted to do it online? Can you kiss your mom and dad online? Can you blow a kiss? Can, and what if I go to visit my mother and I just like you know, kiss her with the cheek, and but I don't actually physically kiss, and, you know, and uh, so obviously that would be ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous if we, if we did it like that. Or even people who feel the obligation to have to call their parents once a week or every few days, you know, and they maybe feel obliged. And that's why as we read today's gospel and we see the reaction of those scholars trying to trap Jesus, we want to ask the Lord Jesus to give us not a deeper sense of obligation, but a deeper sense of love and generosity. Generosity that is forged not by a spirit of obligation, but I would say by love and dreams. Dreams 
And the Pope, Pope Francis has often said that young people cannot but dream. They should dream. And you, you perhaps remember St. Josemaria's iconic phrase, a phrase that was repeated often, but that encapsulates his attitude, not to his obligations, not to what he had to do. He said, dream and your dreams will fall short. He said that to a lot of young people. Dream. Dream about the future. Dream about loving God. Dream about, yeah, fulfilling your obligations, but dream about doing it as a person who's truly in love when you pray, when you come to Mass, when you see the Lord. And one of the people that he said this to was young Pedro Casiano, who was an architecture student in the 1930s. I believe he met him first in 1935. And Pedro Casiano was um, an architecture student and he went to a meditation preached uh, by Jose Maria. And he was quite struck <clears throat> by the calls of the Lord in the way St. Jose Maria preached. He was he was struck by his optimism, opening up horizons. He had so far kind of lived on the basis of obligation. I have to go to Mass. That's why I go to Mass. It's an obligation. But now St. Jose Maria was opening up not obligations, but dreams. And that's where he heard the meditation where St. Jose Maria spoke about the young rich man in the Gospel. What shall I do to have eternal life? And our Lord said, if you want to follow me, you must, you know, give all that you have, give it to the moor and follow me. And you will have a treasure in heaven. He didn't say, you're obliged to do this, you're obliged to do that. And how that young man went away sad because he had many possessions. He wasn't ready to be generous. He wasn't ready to give away. And uh, when Pedro Castiano heard that meditation, I mean, I, d I don't know the exact all the exact things that St. Josemaria spoke about, but he spoke about their young rich man. He said, during this first meditation, I saw clearly that I could not do as this young rich man of the gospel. I couldn't do that. So at the end of the recollection, he told St. Josemaria that he wanted to join the work. And he wanted to join right, right now. Become a numerary. And... Uh, St. Josemaria said, whoa, wait, relax. Maybe you have to wait a bit. You have to strengthen your interior life, grow in prayer. And so uh, Pedro Cacero says, well, how much more do I have to wait? So first the father said, well, maybe you should wait like at least like a month. And he said, a month? That's crazy. That's way too long. I can't, I can't, I can't. No, no, shorten the time. Not, three weeks? Two weeks? And it was like a tug of war with uh, St. Jose Maria of how long he should wait. And um, he said, I insisted so much that it be a shorter time. Finally, we came to nine days. But nine days seemed like an eternity to me. Could it be shortened? And St. Jose Maria finally told him, okay, nine days seems long, so do a tridum. That's three days you know, uh, like a novena, but it's, it's three days. Pray to the Holy Spirit and do, he said, 
everything freely, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there must be freedom. So it's like Sinosmia didn't want him to do anything out of obligation. I'm obliged to do this, I'm forced to do this. No, no, do where the Spirit of the Lord is, do this out of freedom. And so he started on the 18th, and when he finished, he was absolutely, completely decided. That was 1935, and he was 20 years old. And, well, he had a hard time with his father, who was not exactly a very observant Catholic. Uh, but, well, Pedro Castillo was deeply touched by all the attention that St. Josemaria uh, paid to him. It is as though he, he saw all the great plans that God had for him. St. Josemaria would say, you know, you're going to do something very great in your life. I can see it. Remember, you're involved here in something amazing, something wonderful. It was not just about a, doing a minimum, like fulfilling a yearly obligation. And he said, I can see it. You're going to be involved in something great. I can, I'm already dreaming of it. And he said, you too must dream and your dreams will fall short. I mean, a dream is something exceptional. It's something so great. It's hard to imagine. Your dreams will fall short. And so he lived beside the founder during the difficult years of the Spanish Civil War. And eventually he was ordained in 1946. And in 1948, he went to, to Mexico and later started the apostolate in Mexico. He went to Jaltepec and then he started uh, Montefalco, which was an, an old uh, hacienda that had been burnt down during the, uh, during the, as I understand, during the Mexican Revolution, but it was rebuilt and, or at least it had been abandoned as far as I know. But Pedro Casiano went to Mexico and he just absolutely fell in love with this country. He thought it was just the most amazing thing. And the only thing St. Josemir gave him was an image of Our Lady and that's it. An image of Our Lady, period. He didn't give any money, he didn't give any insurance, nothing. But his dreams were so great that he started the apostolate there which became very, very, very fruitful. I mean, it became immensely fruitful. So many people came in contact and he opened horizons for many, many souls. So much so, I mean, that at least two biographies were made or written about him and one of his own, which was his own autobiography. And um, the one biography by a fellow by the name of Rafael Fiol was Pedro Casiado, good to the last drop, good to the last drop, or to the last drop, I don't know how you would translate it. Um, sounds like uh, that commercial we used to see on TV by Ricardo Montalban, who used to used to have a, a commercial for some kind of coffee. That I don't even remember what the coffee was, but this coffee is good to the last drop. And, uh, but for Pedro Casiero, his life, he was given his life good to the last drop. I mean, he was, this was the absolute op opposite of living merely the Sunday obligation or the obligation to go to confession once a year. And then another lady or a lady by the name of Margarita Murillo 
wrote a book called uh, A New a new Song, or uh, not a new song, but a, uh, Una Nueva Partitura, which, which means a new uh, script, if you like, of the song script. And uh, so many vocations came, there were many incredible initiatives, and I remember seeing him in 1994 when he came to Rome. That was the year I was ordained, and he he died the year after, in 1995. So, how does that generosity apply to you? How does it apply in the way you deal with your friends, the way you approach your work, the way you you do your studies? Do you do it with generosity? Do you do you see to do big things. Do you dream about what God has planned for you? Or are you just like hunkering down, just doing the minimum? Okay, pandemic says that you don't absolutely have to physically go to Mass, so I'm happy just to watch it online. And okay, it's true. It is true. It is legitimate to watch it online. It's not a sin, right? But but somehow this shouldn't satisfy us. Maybe we should do something else. Maybe we should really live the Mass there in a way that, that expresses some form of generosity. And uh, should, we should try to do things really, you know, drop all the guilt. Drop all the guilt in our life. I heard about a mother from, who studied at Harvard, and she ended up having quite a large family in the U.S., and she said, people often ask me, you went to Harvard and you have 12 kids? To which I respond, well, they taught me, I suppose at Harvard, they taught me that if you are going to do something, do it big. Do it big. Well, she had uh, 12 kids, right? And I saw the picture of her whole family there, just like literally a line up, uh, you know, all the children lined up with her husband. And um, that's why St. Josemir would say, in the, with this insight, these worlds, world crises are crises of saints. These world crises. Many people talk about the crisis that we're in, of course, the pandemic, but all the polarization, the political situation, the upheavals in the world, the, the violence we hear about. But these, these are crises, but they're crises of saints that we have to face with generosity, not just with a sense of doing the minimum or, or getting by. It has to inspire us to cast out into the deep, as our Lord told Peter, launch out into the deep. There are many fish still to catch. We have to launch out into the deep with respect to shaping the culture, shaping the tone, the human tone around us. You may have heard of this woman, Jennifer Fulweiler, who's a mother as well, with a nationally syndicated daily talk show. And she's also a, basically a stand-up comedian, comedian. And she has a new book out called Your Blue Flame. And the subtitle is precisely that. Drop your guilt and do what makes you come alive. Drop your guilt. Drop your guilt. And, well, we should do that. Drop our guilt. Drop what stops our optimism. Drop what makes us just do things out of obligation. And for that, we have to go running to our Blessed Mother, ask her for help, and, uh, and ask her for that same generosity. And uh, you know, 
St. Teresa of Avila, the great mystic of the 16th century, she did not think that she herself was worth much, but she describes the unity of being in the state of grace. She said there was nothing greater than being in the state of grace. She said, in a state of grace, the soul is like a, a well of limpid water from which flow only streams of clearest crystal. It work, its works are pleasing both to God and man, rising from the river of life, besides which, besides which it is rooted like a tree. We, we have to be rooted like a tree next to, those, to that water of eternal life. And then if we do that, we will grow, we will expand. It'll be absolutely amazing. Let us, let us ask our Lord for that generosity, that optimism, and, and catching ourselves whenever we just do purely things out of obligation. It's my turn to do the dishes. It's my turn to do the, the vacuuming and kind of do it uh, curmudgeonly or doing it against the grain or even going to Mass, well, because I have to, and there's no choice, otherwise I'll be in mortal sin. Let us dream, rather, and our Blessed Mother will intercede for us so that those dreams will even fall short of the great reality of co-redemption, of shaping the culture, of bringing souls to Christ, that we can be indeed involved in. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask God to put it into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.